This episode of Demystified is brought to you by Marmoset. Marmoset, together sounds better. This series exists in both video and podcast form and is designed to be experienced either way. You can find the video version at moviemaker.com or the audio version wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Jake Bowen, and like many of you, I am an aspiring filmmaker. About a year ago, I left my day job to focus more of my time on filmmaking. And while I have made a lot of films, short films, music videos, web series, what I haven't made is the coveted feature film. For most of us, the feature film is the holy grail. Thing is, making one is really, really hard. And not just because it's grueling and expensive and time consuming, though it is those things, it's also hard because the process is so mysterious. Now, I don't mean the artistic process, I'm talking about the rest of the process. How do you raise money for a film? Does your movie need a name actor to be successful? Do film festivals choose winners based more on merit or nepotism? If your film does get into a festival, what then? How do you make your money back? Do you need to make your money back? Should that even be the goal? And just when you think you've found some solid advice, the industry changes and renders that advice obsolete. With all that uncertainty, how do you get a successful feature film made? Well, a few years ago, my friends Jess Jacklin and Charles Beale were wondering that same thing. They, like many of us, had been sold on this idea that film festivals are the primary way to advance an indie filmmaker's career. But what they wanted from a film festival, what they think most short filmmakers and screenwriters want, is a pathway to their first feature. And they wished there was a festival that actually guaranteed that. Then, they thought, maybe we should make that festival. Studio Fest takes five directors and five writers. One writer and one director are chosen. Where the prize is to make a film. With prize money to actually fund a project. It's about helping emerging filmmakers actually get their first feature made. That's all any of us really want, right? It's that they want to see it till the very end, till it sees distribution. It's a really exciting model. I'm surprised nobody has come up with this idea before. One movie has come out of the Studio Fest process already, and the second one is on its way. We're in pre-production right now, in fact, and this time we want to show you the process. This series is going to be a behind the scenes of sorts, but not the kind you'd watch in a DVD extra. We'll show you the making of the movie, of course, but we're also going to show you the stuff you never see. Meetings with potential financiers and distributors, conflicts between the creatives, the financial stress and the doubt, the mistakes we make, and hopefully, the triumph of emerging with a finished movie that will help launch the careers of two talented, as yet unknown filmmakers. From Studio Fest and Movie Maker Magazine, this is Demystified, a series about an innovative new way to make movies and what it really takes to make an indie feature film. But first, that movie we already produced, Souvenirs, written by Matthew Servillo and directed by Anna Mikami, well, we still have to sell it. See, Jess and Charles have poured everything they have into Studio Fest, and until the festival becomes financially self-sustaining, making a decent sale on Souvenirs is one of the only ways to stay in the black. Problem is, none of us have ever done this before. So, here we all are, in an old RV, the night before our first ever meetings with actual sales agents, wondering aloud for the millionth time how exactly all of this works. I'm feeling like really optimistic, but I also feel like we might just be totally crushed tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, we'll give you $5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we get it for in perpetuity. To for kick all. things off, we're starting at the end and bringing you along with us yeah, to the American film market as we navigate one of the most mysterious aspects of the entire filmmaking process. Distribution. Okay, so what's our plan tomorrow? Our plan is to 
crash AFM. Uh, our top priority is like getting information because a lot of people like need to know this stuff and we need to know this stuff. But we're also crossing our fingers that we sell it. We emailed several distribution um, companies, told them we're trying to sell a movie, and asked if they'd allow us to record the meetings to show other filmmakers what the process looks like. And it worked. And so, to find some answers, we hopped on planes and flew to Santa Monica. For the American film market. Right now, we are about 15 minutes from LAX, camping out in this woman's RV. And we're about to go to American film market to try to get a movie sold. My hopes for today are that we don't embarrass ourselves too badly. <laughs> but no, really, I, like, I'm feeling pretty good. Hopefully they'll open up to us and we'll be able to get them to tell us like, some of the things we've all been wondering about how a movie gets yeah. bought. I don't really expect that we're going to sell a movie. That would be amazing if like one of these conversations leads to that. But I feel very uncertain about that part of it. But how do you feel? I feel nervous. We're going to leave here losers come back better informed losers <laughs> it's yep. all about confidence and is that why you bought new underwear yeah <laughs> and new socks and new socks and new pants and a new shirt new shirt new pants new socks new undies we don't do enough laundry <laughs> it's not even about like feeling confident going in it's just that you didn't do laundry yeah, yeah, okay it's all about confidence One weekend each year, the Low Santa Monica Beach Hotel becomes a bustling marketplace where filmmakers, distributors, and buyers do a billion dollars of business out of their office suites. It may be something where they don't buy your movie, but they they do like a sharing. We're minutes away from our first meeting, and we're still speculating about how this stuff works. What would that deal look like? The majority of deals, I think, look closer to that. There's less upfront and more profit sharing. Currently, there's problems with creative accounting where people won't get anything because the film will never be profitable, technically. So they make enough to pay for them to stay in business and for their marketing costs, but you never see any money. Right, potentially. Our first meeting of the day is with Glasshouse Distribution. As the name implies, they say their guiding principle is full transparency, which sounds pretty good to us. Trailer for this gutter bug. Oh, yeah. Didn't that one go to uh, slam dance? Oh, this is shot in a single continuous take. See how it goes. I'm excited. People feel open to talking to us. Like, everyone has been on email, at least, like, very nice. Should we go find it? Yeah. All right, let's go for a walk. Waiting in the hallway for our appointment is a little nerve-wracking. First up is Michelle Alexandria. Michelle is the head of international sales at Glasshouse. I swear to God, I thought you were Jodie Foster because she's here. Oh she gets so that, right? flattered as a kid all the time. And she's super nice, of course. I feel kind of stupid for being so nervous. Oh, it's rolling. Oh, no, 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 great, great. Hi. Anyway, so tell me a little bit about you guys. We give her the Studio Fest spiel. Writer, director, first feature, one year timeline. A writer, and, well, that's great. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> you know, I produce movies for a living, but then we do this um, in the day, which keeps us in the know for the yeah. producing. So they're sales agents, but they're also producers. They understand the point of view of the filmmaker. So do you have to use a sales 
agent, even at the micro-budget level, why shouldn't a filmmaker try to sell it herself? Oh, I would 100% go with a sales agent. You can go without one, but it's also kind of like you going to court without an attorney. A sales agent distributor, we put the time, money, and effort to create the relationships we have. So we have a whole list of who our buyers are. If you make a film and you want to do that directly, how are you going to get to any of those buyers? Maybe you get to one or two. Maybe you get $5,000. So basically, companies like Glasshouse have cultivated relationships with buyers all over the world, and they know which films each buyer is likely to be interested in. An upstart indie filmmaker, they would argue, is unlikely to be able to reach more than a few of those buyers on their own, let alone all of them. How does the money work? Like, do you buy something outright, and then there's revenue sharing? Is it all revenue sharing based on what it makes? No, it's a combination of everything. We do revenue sharing. We do outright worldwide sales. One territory at a time. The next thing we ask Michelle is, should you approach a distributor when you have nothing but a script, or should you wait until you have a finished film, like we're doing right now? It, it is more valuable when you have a finished product. If you say, I have a script, it's a lot harder. There's not too much a higher-up sales company can do. Maybe an entry-level sales company, but we've had projects that came our way, like one is the Snoop Dogg. We'll put the money in ourselves, Oh, okay. and yeah. then we become producers on it. Okay, so unless you have Snoop Dogg on your roster, you probably want to wait until you have some footage to show. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to wait until you have a finished film, though. Oh, Michelle, I have a sci-fi horror. Can I show you the trailer? And even if they show me the trailer and they say it's just in post, now you have my attention. Even while you're filming, make that poster, make a few different posters, and make a trailer. It doesn't have to be, I mean, please, please don't let it be a two-minute trailer. Make a 45-second, a 60-second trailer. Would you like to watch our one-minute trailer? Yeah, that, I love you. What did they say? That is freaky. I think that's a film I would actually consider for us, yeah, under the Bloodhouse label. And, um, and I like that it's not gory. So that opens up windows. The genre is really important. So this is thriller. 90% of the time, it's going to be horror or drama. So horror is why we have a separate Bloodhouse label. And I will advise every filmmaker to avoid drama because I already know at the micro budget, you're not going to get cast. Drama plus cast equals possibility. Mm-hmm. Drama minus cast equals a film that maybe your mom will watch and that's it. But I do get so many people who make a drama and then they have their mom's best friend in it. They tell me, oh, we made this for $2.4 million. (laughs) You'll hear this again and again at AFM. A drama with no recognizable actors is unsellable. Genre, on the other hand, can be successful even without names. Another genre you can get away with no cast, but it's hard because you have to have really good visual and really good sound is action. If you can get two of your friends from jujitsu and boxing, and then in the trailer you have three or four different moments of action, you get away with no cast. More from Michelle after the break. This episode of Demystified is brought to you by Marmoset. Marmoset is not a stock music site. It's a curated collection of real music by real musicians, bands, and record labels, often with entire albums available from a single musician or band. They have an award-winning music production team who collaborates with artists and bands to record original music, sound design, and custom scores. I used Marmoset while editing souvenirs, and one of the coolest features I found is the ability to sort tracks by their arc, a visual representation of the progression of the music. It's extremely useful and saves you a ton of time. Visit marmosetmusic.com to browse music now. Marmoset. Together sounds better. Now back to Michelle. I mean, someone called me this morning and said, oh, Michelle, I might be able to get Nicolas Cage for this movie for $50,000. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I know what his price is, and I, I, I know it's going to be a million right now in today's market. So I can tell you right now. I said, go ahead, make the offer. But there's other actors you can get for fifty thousand. You're going to have to find two notches down on Nick Cage. So. Two notches down from Nick Cage. Got it. Another thing is filmmakers have to be transparent because we know we know so well. I had one guy come in here and he shows me this trailer and it had a lot of uh, CGI and like, lots of effects and this and that and he goes back and goes, so what do you think the budget is? And I said, hundred thousand. Oh, how did you know? <laughs> you had no cast. You had two locations. I said yeah. that's all I calculated. Yeah. And it actually can backfire too. If a filmmaker comes in and they they give us a number that's too high, and I also know on the distribution side what I can get back for this. If you shot that movie and then you said, oh, Michelle shot that for seven hundred fifty thousand, which is not a high number, but it's a high number for, based on what I've seen, I'm gonna say I'm not for you. I'm not gonna make that money back. I'll maybe make you back a hundred thousand. So. She introduces us to Tom Malloy. Tom is Michelle's partner and president of Glasshouse. He's also an actor and the author of Bankroll, a well-known book about film financing. We give him the studio festival too. I'm just teaching them about being transparent because sometimes we get filmmakers with like this low budget drama and nothing and they go, oh yeah, I made it for 7.2 million well, yeah. as if we're not going to know. Some and, old book that was a competitor of mine, I think they gave that out. You only always tell sales agents it was just under a million. That's the thing. And it was like, yeah, we get that a lot. Just yeah. under a million dollars. Like, well, either you're an idiot, you know what I mean? Or you're lying. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what should you say when asked about your budget? Here's what you can fairly get away with. If you are making a movie and you're shooting it and you get the supermarket location for free because your dad is the manager there, that location is worth $10,000 a day, but you only shot it for 10000 you can say, no, my budget was really, my budget was twenty. It's called in-kind money. So, whatever in-kind money you get, count that in. Finally, we ask her what advice she would give to micro-budget filmmakers specifically. Two things. If this is a one-time yeah, thing for you, then make whatever project it is that you want. And if, um, if you get your money back, great. That's your passion project. If you're in this for the long run, do your homework, see what genres are popular, and make that type of film at a micro-budget. Go into it with hopes that you're going to recoup that money back. If it's money, you have to pay back. And then have your second project ready. So that way, when you take that first project and you're out in film festivals, great, wow, you were amazing. That's a great movie. So what else do you have going on? Boom, you already have your next project in mind to talk about. Sounded interesting. So I was like relieved to hear that transparency is better. We so. made it for $80,000 cash, but if you add our time on it, plus the locations we got for free, plus all the in-kind, yes. it's a $250,000 movie. Our sound mix alone is a $30,000 sound mix. So there's yeah. a lot of in-kind things that actually make our budget closer yeah. to the 200, 300 range. Right. And I feel like that's something you could say to a company like that, and they would be like, that makes sense. For our second meeting, we're back with Glasshouse, this time speaking to David Lawrence, head of acquisitions. From, okay, I've got a movie, what now? Right. Where next? I mean, it all really starts here. It starts at a market where you're trying to find out what is selling. Come into these rooms and ask questions like, what are you guys looking for? We ask if they're looking for films in the under 200,000 range. We're not looking for, but we know that that is a very popular budget, and it's also a great budget for you to recoup your money on. If we are looking for films like that, they need to be genre-driven. I wouldn't bring a drama with no names. It's hard to sell. 
Seriously, you could make a drinking game out of this one. I feel like consistently horror films are, are, are doing better regardless of whether or not you have names. It doesn't necessarily have to be that genre. Faith-based movies do really well because they appeal to a wide audience. We can sell a comedy that's non-offensive a lot easier than we could sell a comedy that is offensive. And that's because they're censor boards. Too much cursing, you won't get to a certain country. If you have too much drugs, there goes the Middle East, there goes Africa, there goes China. Censorship is a hot-button issue right now in the film and video game industries. More and more, creators are forced to either self-censor or risk cutting themselves off from lucrative foreign markets. Anyway, we show them our trailer. What do they say? Ugh, it's awful. They want me to sell this stuff. <laughs> what, what I notice in your film is you have great production value. The images look great, the actors look great. I've been telling filmmakers, if you don't have a big name, you have very few compromises that you can make. I don't like to lie and say, it's really good, but it's not for us. Because it's bullshit. I say, all right, congratulations on making a film. It's one of the most difficult things to do in the world. You made too many compromises for us to sell it. Next movie, less compromises, come back to our office, and hopefully we'll see something different. If it takes longer for you to plan your shoe to get the right actors, take your time. Speaking of actors, one of the leads in Souvenirs is Jamie Donnelly, best known as Jan, one of the pink ladies from Greece. Is that something you feel like we should use when we're going into the room? Like, she's kind of an icon, you know? Yes, you could totally use her. It's not as attractive as, like, somebody who I just mentioned that, like, you automatically know who that is. Jane Lynch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know who Jane Lynch is? Yeah. That's a name. As soon as you say, well, she was in this and she was in that, right. you've already, like... Caveated. Exactly. Um, it doesn't hurt. It definitely helps. You always want experience. So what's the etiquette filmmakers should know when approaching a distributor? Email. Make an appointment. Obviously, be on time. Try not to bring an entire team. It fills up a room. There's other meetings going on. One or two people. Number one, I would say, do your homework. The more research you do about the distribution company, the better. Um, you know, you know this company has a movie kind of like yours. Be willing to send a link to the screener of the film. If you can't get a meeting, send the screener. I may make an offer. Have realistic expectations. You need to be patient if you want to make your money back. That is the goal. If it makes a little bit more, awesome. But you need to make your investor their money back so that they invest again, so you can make your second movie. Production value aside, how much of it is, this is a good movie. I enjoyed watching this. It's the most important part. I care about stories. I attach myself to every movie in here, so it does matter 100%. Next, we asked David to give us a ballpark impression of the kind of money an under $200,000 movie with no household names might expect to make. I think this is one of the most useful answers we got out of the whole trip. So, so hypothetical, let's say your movie meets all censor boards, and it's an entertaining movie, right? It's not a drama um, with no names, right? Take a drink. That's just like the best hypothetical, right? And all of our foreign buyers, you know, for a no-name, they'll spend anywhere from 10 to 15 grand for their territory for three to seven years in that territory, right? More than 150 territories. Let's say we get 50 of those, or 75 of those territories, and we sell the rights for $10,000 to each of those. And you got $70,000. What platforms do we want to put it on domestically? In other words, it is possible to make your money back. 
Now, what's to stop us from selling to Netflix or Hulu directly? Why don't I just go and knock on Netflix's door? Netflix or Hulu creates walls just like anybody else, security walls, right? Nets. And they filter. And one of their nets is distributors like us. We're the filter. I watch all the garbage. (laughs) I find the gems. I take the gems to them. They give me a percentage for finding something for them. And because I've done that, we can get better deals for the filmmakers. Somebody without a relationship goes into Netflix and they go, "Uh, we'll give you $5,000, we own your film for eight years, it's exclusive, it can't be anywhere else. Do you want it on there or no? Do me a favor, send me the screener. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we'd love for you to watch it. Yeah, I'd love to watch it, it looks great. some numbers like 10 to 15 grand per territory maybe you do 50 of them or whatever that's some kind of hard numbers that I finally you know it's not five dollars per territory in those two meetings I feel like I got information that I've been starving for for like years well, I also don't want to be cool. how hard do you think it would be for studio fest to say okay we're a distribution company we're gonna form relationships with distributors I'd be curious to know what somebody that really values more art house type content, stay to those same answers. But it's all really interesting. Really glad we're here. Next time, as we continue to roam AFM, our initial optimism is met with some harsh reality. That one makes me feel the most rocky. It is disheartening to hear. How do big distributors like Mar Vista, Magnolia, or Vision Films answer these same questions? And, in future episodes, we'll introduce you to the winners of Studio Fest as they begin the monumental task of making a feature film in one year's time. Demystified is a Studio Fest production presented by Movie Maker. This episode was narrated and edited by me, Jake Bowen. It was conceived and recorded by Jess Jacklin, Charles Beale, and Jake Bowen. And special thanks to Jared Grove for helping us out in a pinch. The theme song was composed by Patrick Patrikios. Additional tracks and music supervision were provided by Marmoset. You can find links in the show notes to some of the tracks used in this episode. To hear future episodes of Demystified, go to moviemaker.com or visit studiofest.com, where you can also learn more about Studio Fest and subscribe to the show. Thanks to our sponsor, Marmoset. Marmoset is a full-service music agency representing a highly curated roster of diverse and rare artists, bands, record labels, and vintage recordings for music licensing. Visit marmosetmusic.com to browse music now. Marmoset. Together sounds better.